A classic is the term given to any book which comes to represent the whole universe. A book on a par with ancient talismans. Italo Calvino. Why read the classics? Welcome to Tea, Toast and Trivia. Thank you for listening in. Sheehan Moore from Dundee, Scotland and Dave Astor from Montclair, New Jersey have joined me in connecting three time zones within seconds to bring you a discussion on what is a classic, why should we read classics, and what classics should we read. Sheehan, also known as Shay, is a published author and publisher under Black Wolf Books, a small royalty-paying publisher presently taking submissions by invitation only. Dave Astor is an author, journalist, blogger, and writer of the award-winning weekly Montclavorant, a topical humor column for BaristaNet.com. He is a board member of the National Society of Newspaper Columnists. Shay and Dave are avid readers and have great insights to share. This promises to be an exciting discussion so put the kettle on and add to the conversation on tea, toast, and trivia. Welcome, Shay. Welcome, Dave. Hello, Rebecca. Lovely of you to ask me back. Hi, Rebecca. Nice to see you. I consider you giants in this area of expertise. I listen to the voices on Dave's column Shay and Dave have a marvelous discussion that I never miss. It is full of great ideas and book discussions and book ideas. Well, you know what I mean. Your comments are really great as well. I mean, you know your literature too. That was very kind of you to say. Today we're going to talk about what is a classic. Shay, what do you consider a classic to be? Sometimes in classic, you know, as we know them now, we had no idea when that book was published how that was going to turn out. I think, as with films, that's an important thing to note. I mean, I remember when Blade Runner first came out and it kind of bombed at the box office, and nowadays it's a cult. But um, I think a classic has to be accessible. I'm not talking the, the prose because literature styles have changed over the centuries. I think it has to have stood the test of time. It has to have themes that are timeless and characters that are memorable. I could add that, that it must stand on a big canvas. I don't necessarily mean it has to have five nuclear disasters and ten world wars. I just think the canvas has to be one we can identify with and love. If you look at Little Women, for example, it's not a huge, huge canvas. And yet we find so much in that book to love and identify with. That's my idea of a classic. She had made many great points about classics. They have to stand the test of time, although, you know, once in a while there are kind of uh, almost instant modern day classics. You have to really relate to the characters. You're sort of watching their personal story, but there has to be something universal about it. They're often heartbreaking, but that's real life. They're books that you remember even months or years after you read them. They're books that you want to reread. They have to be like serious in a way, but they can also be very entertaining. So many definitions of a classic, but th those are some. 
It's true, we have different opinions about what classics are. But the overall and overarching emotional content or that identification with the story is what is the basis of everything, isn't it? If you can relate to the characters, even if they're from two or three hundred years ago, that's a big part of it. It's the universal theme. For instance, with Little Women, Shay, you mentioned that it was not a large canvas, but it was something that grabbed us in our hearts. And we return over and over to read the passages that mean something to us. That's true. Classic has to speak to the soul, doesn't it? Little women and the father being at the war, how many of us growing up didn't worry about our mums and dads in some way. Um, there's the whole sibling bit. There's every person in Little Women is very different. Amy's got a very different character from Joe. But there's bits of all of them that we can relate to. And as you said, Dave, bits of it are heartbreaking too. The death of Beth was just awful. But that is also part of life. It's not all joy and happiness, alas. Perhaps it's a way for us to understand how to express grief or how to internalize grief. When we read a book, we see how it overcomes. And then when it goes to our real life, we can say, yes, that happened there. And this is how it worked for them. And maybe this is how it will work for me. That is an excellent point, Rebecca. It's kind of educational. It kind of models behavior in a way sometimes very subtly and indirectly. It's not like when you have something happen in real life, you're thinking, well, how did that happen in the book? But somewhere in your subconscious, you've learned something from the best books about dealing with stuff like that. I find that when we read books, it changes who we are, or something gets embedded in us that we bring part of the book into, as you say, Shay, our souls. That's true. And Little Women obviously explores that. And I was also thinking at that point about the character of Jo, because she interestingly doesn't quite want the life that could have been mapped out for her with Laurie. She wants to express herself and be, be different. And I think that's also something we can take away from a book. In terms of finding ourselves and finding out more about ourselves, we're looking at a character doing something like this. And maybe it's a point in our life where we're, facing a similar dilemma, or we want more or less. I think that's a very, very valid point, Rebecca. Do we have current classics? And by current classics, let's go back to Italo Calvino, who said, a book comes to represent the whole universe. Do we have those type of current classics, or do we have those type of books that would fit into this category? I think we do. I think To Kill a Mockingbird possibly what you might call a modern classic, covers so much. It's a wonderful book. Again, they have to stand the test of time. There are books on this that you're looking at and thinking, you know, this is supposed to be a classic and it's not really standing it for me or cutting it for me. One man's classic is often another person's uh, firelighter. Depends on how you read that, actually. Yes, I do believe we have classic city. I think we have many. You know, they're not the same as Dickens's classics or Tolstoy's classics, but they are classics. I'm sure Dave will add a few here. I was thinking about this question. I actually made a list of what I think are some modern classics. First of all, it's hard to define what is modern. Like I was thinking maybe 30 years old, although I think To Kill a Mockingbird, as Shia mentioned, which is, I guess, 60 years old now, is absolutely a modern classic. 
But the ones I was thinking of, Beloved by Toni Morrison, The Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Kingsolver, Goldfinch by Donna Tartt, Leon Moriarty's Big Little Lies, The Shell Secrets by uh, Rosamond Pilcher, Possession by A.S. Byatt. Once you read them, you figure, well, that has classic possibilities. Yes, I was going to add Handmaid's Tale, Margaret Atwood, to that list because that's one that I consider a modern classic. And it wasn't written too long ago, I don't think. There's an awful lot of them. And we've still got many to come, I believe. I think we do. And I think that the writing is going to change and to transition and be part of our generation. Now, when you think of Dostoevsky, you think of Dickens, all of the ones in the past, for instance, Sir Walter Scott. There are all of these classics that have come from the past and have been an indication of what they lived or where they lived and how they lived and what they thought, which doesn't resonate sometimes in the modern world. And yet there are some universal themes that come through so brilliantly. The question then I have, if we have all these wonderful books, why are very few classics read outside of academic discourse? One reason you kind of touched on, when a book is fairly old, some readers might not be comfortable. They don't kind of get the cultural references. The language might be different. Maybe it's longer, like some older books were. The writing might not be as casual. People might just feel more comfortable with modern books. I like the, the variety of doing both. I'm fascinated by how older books seem different and are maybe a little less approachable to a 21st century reader. But some people, if they're going to read, which is wonderful, better to read something than nothing. I also think maybe reading habits have changed a bit. People often don't have the same time. As you said, maybe looking at a bigger, older book and thinking the language is maybe just not accessible to me. I don't have time, you know, people living busy lives. I look at both my girls that way and they don't really read that much. And when they do, it's usually something lighter and shorter. Part of it is they're very busy. Finding that time, it's that discipline to even, as you did, Rebecca, recently say, you sat down to try to read a chapter a day of the Dostoevsky and you did it. <laughs> Shay, I agree 100%. You have identified one of the major barriers that would be time. Reading influences our choices and our life experiences, so it is a journey, and it is best to start early. If you were to curate a library, what books would you choose and why for the following age groups that are living in our technological age? How would you enable a love of reading in children ages 7 to 9? One thing here is that cultural differences often between the countries and what books, you know, be liked in certain countries. So I suppose if I was running a Scottish library here, yes, Harry Potter, absolutely, and Anne of Green Gables. I'd add and throw in Roald Dahl and also David Wallam's. Kids love them. I've got grandson in this age and he likes audiobooks, he does that more than read, but then he's able to listen to the Harry Potter books because he's only seven and the reading of the books would be too difficult. He especially loves The Wizard of Oz, so I'd include that one. Any of the books with a bit of magic in them would be nice for kids of that age. 
we are introducing books and it is magic. And what better way than just a few little spells. As we get older, we have teenagers and we have young adults. So 16 to 19, what would you suggest for those young people? The, the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit are wonderful. I mean, for almost any age, but certainly for high schoolers and college people, that's kind of right up the rally. I, I love Jane Eyre as, as a high school student, The Grapes of Wrath. Basically, kids at that age can read virtually any any book, uh, so it doesn't necessarily have to be kind of a YA book or young adult book. Even the Outlander series, it's so good, and I guess eventually younger characters are introduced, the daughter and the son-in-law, and they're kind of introduced when they're still either in their teen, well, I guess maybe early 20s. Those are a few I can think of offhand. I think I would agree that that age, we can mostly read anything, really, when you think about it. I suppose like Little Women and Kill a Mockingbird and Lord of the Flies and all these. I think it's reading's very much a matter of taste. And probably if I was running a library, I would have a nice suggestion box out front <laughs> so people could put a little ticket in with books they might want to read in their age so that I was aiming to be appropriate here for them. Certainly in one's 20s, reading Dostoevsky, as you've been doing in that readathon, is a great time to start reading him and Tolstoy and George Eliot and some of the amazing 19th century classics. I read a lot of those books for the first time in my 20s. And actually, just to double back about reading for younger people, I think it, it helps if a book has a real technological element because it's just so much a part of today's life, like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and the other books in Dick Larson's Millennium Trilogy. Some of it's all about computers, and people can really relate to that. That's kind of like the entry point, but wonderful, exciting, you know, riveting story on top of that. J.K. Rowling's crime novels, Cormoran's strike novels, they're always on their cell phones, you know, looking up things, and you know, something you obviously don't see in the old-time crime novels. Well, and those could lead you back to Sherlock Holmes. So if we want to go back in history, as you do in your books, Shay, you still have that universal theme, but then you look back into the history of how that would reflect in the everyday of their time. I've always loved historical fiction and books, always. The other reason I write them, and I try to do this in the books as well, obviously, is that the themes are universal. We may think these people lived a few hundred years ago and spoke differently. Well, they probably did, but they understood each other perfectly, just the way we do today. We had all the same hopes, dreams, fears, loves, hates, all the worries in a different way, but they were still basically the same thing as we do. When I'm writing, I'm looking at that kind of theme, what, what one I want to tackle in this particular book. And yes, they did things differently, but they were, they were really, thoughts were not that far from ours. And I think that's the thing with historical fiction and also with classics as well, is to get that over and away to people too, that so much has really not changed. Career adults and retirement adults, here you had a long journey with reading. And now you are in a space and a place that supposedly you can read more. How can we engage with a younger generation and with a new model of writing and reading? 
In my case, I haven't changed with age. I like to read books that might appeal to people my age, people younger than me, people older than me. Maybe because I blog about books, I have to make sure that I read a little of everything rather than just focus on one kind of genre or style. When you're an older reader, you can enjoy books, modern, old-fashioned, whatever. But certainly when you're older, you might feel a little more simpatico with older characters in a book. So if you read a book where the characters are getting on, that could be poignant or relatable. Like The Shell Seekers would be an example where the story is basically told from the standpoint of a woman who's in her 60s. So people that age really relate, you know, looking back in her life, what went wrong, what went right. But there's also her children and younger characters. Anybody can relate to them as well. I try not to pigeonhole myself into certain kinds of books, but I realize some other people have a comfort level where they like certain kinds of books. And if they're reading, that's fine. No reason to feel pressured to read everything, read what you like. Often I pick up something and I suppose this is where the love of the classics or the older literature comes in. And I just think it's just not got the same detail. And by that, I'm not meaning that description of the antimacassar, I am meaning the way they put the words on the page just seems so different, kind of frothy with some of the modern stuff. And I'm just not so fond of that. I confess that having said that, I love Larson. I love an awful lot of today's authors. Probably they're the ones that, that still do an awful lot of detail that way in their books as opposed to just a kind of skimpy light. Although I do love the pot boilers of the 30s and 40s, but they were not skimpy light, although the books were short. Books? seem to come to us at the right time for the right reason. Is that serendipity or is that just me thinking that's serendipity? That's an interesting one. You know, you wonder if it's because you're feeling a particular way or something's happened in your life and that book is what that's about, that that seems to have come to you at that moment for the right reason or whether it has just come to you at the right reason. Do you know what I mean? It's, that sounds muddled, but that's the way I'm meaning it to sound because it's a bit chicken and egg-like, if you get me. I mean, I know I'm fascinated if a, a book by a younger writer is just selling well and people are talking about it. I want to try it. So in, in a way, it's not serendipity. It's like a very specific choice, but maybe it's serendipity that I heard about the book or something. How many books do we read in our lifetime? How many people do we meet through books? How many lives do we live simply because we opened a book? Do books fill our whole world? I think they fill a huge, huge part of it. They are like friends in a way. They are a world in themselves when you read a book. I think Shian said it exactly right. They fill a huge part of our world. Of course, there's family, there's current events, other kinds of things, but they are a big part and they're such a great comfort and escape from the world, even when the books are depressing, it's still an escape and live all kinds of lives. Instead of your one life, you're living thousands of lives of these fictional characters. And it's a nice combination of reality and fiction, you know, kind of bouncing around one's brain. Well, maybe we're the classics. <laughs> well, I'm certainly old enough for that. But <laughs> As we close the conversation, which I don't want to close, of course, is there any last words that you would like to say? Reading the classics is wonderful, but I think if people just read anything, it's a great thing. Whether it's the classics, modern novels, nonfiction books, news stories, poems, plays, 
the back of cereal boxes. <laughs> I think just reading is a great thing, and if classics are part of it, wonderful. If they're not, well, you're still reading. For all the reasons Dave has mentioned, and they certainly can take you out of your humdrum existence sometimes to another world, I'd say never don't read. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much. And lovely to meet you, Dave, online. Yeah. You too, Sheehan. <laughs> Great to meet you. Thank you for joining Shay, Dave, and me on Tea, Toast, and Trivia. And a very special thank you, Shay and Dave, for adding your insights on reading classics that last a lifetime. Listeners, I invite you to meet up with Shay on her website, Sheehan Moore. You can follow Shay on Goodreads as well as Amazon at Sheehan Moore. You can connect with Dave on Dave Astor on Literature. You can follow Dave on Goodreads as well as Amazon at Dave Astor. So until next time we meet, dear friends, keep reading, keep safe, and be well.